Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. Now, police say that she orchestrated the whole thing, and that's why she's charged with murder for hire. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. And I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In Dallas, a guilty plea 16 months after an American Airlines employee was shot to death while out on a morning walk with his wife. I just hope that at some point, maybe this person can recognize the gravity of what they've done and feel some sort of guilt enough to come forward. And in Michigan, a man who confessed to killing his adopted daughter more than 30 years ago and burying her in the backyard of their home has been sentenced. He'll rot. He knows where. He should fear this as much as she feared him. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Read this first story is one you covered on our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles, last year. Before we get to the news this week, fill us in on the background of the case. Yeah, well, this is a story that has been just full of surprises, but at the outset, it was just this senseless tragedy. A Dallas couple, Jennifer and her husband, James or Jamie Faith, were out on a walk one morning. It was the morning of October 9th, 2020. This was something they apparently did every morning. They'd go out together and walk the dogs. But then on this particular morning, when they were just steps from their home, a man in a mask comes up and shoots Jamie multiple times and attacks Jennifer. She ends up having pretty minor injuries, but Jamie dies from the gunshot wounds. And we learn more about what happened from Jennifer Faith herself. Uh, She opened up to WFA reporter Alex Razier in an interview at the spot where this actually happened a couple months after the attack. Amazingly caring, very kind. 15 years together. He would give you the shirt off his back. Now nearly two months apart. He worked for American Airlines. He was an IT director. Jennifer Faith told me about her husband, Jamie. It was a normal day. And the morning he died, October 9th. We got up, we did our normal good morning thing. At 7.30, they walked their dog outside their Oak Cliff home when they were ambushed 15 feet from their front door. And I heard running behind me and I turned around and then just shooting just started. I was running up this driveway and uh, he tackled me and started beating on me and taped my hands together. And it's this really emotional interview. Jennifer talks about not just what happened, but about her and Jamie's background, how they'd grown closer by going on these morning walks during the pandemic, and about how she was just desperate to get answers in his case. And by the point she's doing this interview, it had been about two months without an arrest. I'm sure they're overextended and spread very thin, but it doesn't it doesn't 
help me in terms of finding the answers that I really need. In an instant, Jennifer lost so much. My partner, my best friend. And now, she waits for closure. I just, I'm not supposed to be widowed at 48, you know? She hopes the suspect does the right thing. I just hope that at some point, maybe this person can recognize the gravity of what they've done and feel some sort of guilt enough to come forward. So, Reed, where does the investigation go from there? Is there eventually an arrest? There is, but but as I mentioned, this case, uh, it's full of surprises. This is, this is where that comes in. The month after that interview, an ex-boyfriend of Jennifer Face, a man named Darren Lopez, is arrested and charged with the murder of Jamie Faith. And according to the uh, arrest warrant affidavit, at that point, investigators believe Lopez and Jennifer Faith were having an affair. And not only that, but it says they were in regular contact around the time of the murder, that between September 30th, 2020 and October 30th, 2020, so that time frame is nine days before through 21 days after the murder, they exchanged over 14,000 calls and text messages. And their phones had exchanged messages about a five-year plan they had to be together, about the murder investigation, and then about Lopez's truck, which is what ended up leading investigators to him. He had this distinctive sticker on the back of his truck. After the murder, police shared a picture of the suspect's truck with the distinct T in the back window. Somebody has got to know whose truck this is. But one day after our interview, court documents say Jennifer texted her ex saying, quote, I woke up in a little bit of a panic. Something is eating away at me, telling me you need to take the sticker out of the back window of the truck. At the time, detectives had already flown over Lopez home in Tennessee and found the truck with the T in the back. And they also, according to court records, went back and forth about the status of a life insurance claim Jennifer filed after the murder, where she was seeking over $600,000. So in January of 2021, Darren Lopez is arrested, charged with murder. Court documents say investigators found the handgun used to kill Jamie in his home, that it had Jamie's blood on it. Lopez would plead not guilty, but at that point, Jennifer isn't charged with anything. Then in February, she's arrested on a federal charge of obstruction of justice, which she pleaded not guilty to. And at that point, the question was, you know, are there going to be more charges? When do we learn the answer to that question, whether or not there were going to be other charges on top of that obstruction charge? Not until September of 2021, this past September, that's when Jennifer Faith was charged with murder for hire in her husband's death. A distraught widow spoke with us months after her, her husband died, begging his killer to come forward. But now investigators claim it was all an act. Jennifer Faith stood right here and she cried to me. She told me she had no idea who killed her husband. Now police say that she orchestrated the whole thing, and that's why she's charged with murder for hire. Technically, the charge was use of interstate commerce and the commission of murder for hire, and it's a serious charge, one that carries a possible death sentence if she were to be convicted. We also learn at that point through court documents about allegations that Jennifer had been using two phony email accounts to communicate with Darren Lopez, pretending to be her husband and pretending to be one of her friends in order to falsely convince Lopez that her husband, Jamie, was physically and sexually abusing her. According to the documents, Jennifer wrote an email to her ex posing as her friend saying, quote, I know I won't feel better about her situation until she is out of the house away from him or she lets me put a bullet in Jamie's head. So essentially the allegations were that she duped this guy into thinking he was going to save her from this abusive marriage by carrying out this murder plot. But, but all of that was made up. The way that the 
acting U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Texas at the time, put it in a DOJ press release, was, quote, she preyed on her boyfriend's protective instinct and his pocketbook in order to convince him to execute her husband, end quote. And according to the indictment, this was something that went on for months. She allegedly used these fake email accounts throughout the spring and summer of 2020, sharing graphic details of physical and sexual abuse that that didn't happen. And she even sent allegedly fake photos of injuries to, you know, quote unquote, prove that the abuse was happening. And investigators at the time made a point to say that they found zero evidence of any domestic or sexual violence committed by Jamie Faith. They, they believe it was all made up. So, Reed, these are obviously really shocking allegations for anyone to hear about. I can only imagine how incredibly difficult it must have been for the family and friends of Jamie Faith to get this news. Right. You know, they were already grieving this terrible loss. A loved one had been shot to death seemingly out of nowhere on this morning walk. But now they had to find out about these allegations that his wife was the one who orchestrated it. And not only that, but that she allegedly made up all of these lies about him being abusive to convince someone else to carry it out. There's another quote from that same press release that I thought kind of captured that aspect of this pretty well. The same acting U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Texas called it a double blow to Jamie's family and friends. And he followed that up by saying that his office was committed to getting justice for Jamie and to holding Jennifer Faith and Darren Lopez accountable. All right. So what is the latest news then? What did we learn this week? This past Monday, Jennifer Faith pleaded guilty to that charge of of orchestrating the murder of her husband. In a pinstripe jumpsuit, an emotional Jennifer Faith pleaded guilty to murder for hire. Faith now admits she orchestrated the murder of her husband, Jamie Faith. And in doing that, she admitted that her boyfriend, Darren Lopez, killed Jamie. She also admitted in this plea that she knew Lopez was disabled, that he'd suffered a traumatic brain injury while serving in the army in Iraq, and that she had been using these phony email accounts to communicate with him to falsely convince him that she was being abused, which she says in the plea was never true. She admitted to sending Lopez gifts and money both before and after the murder. And in the plea, she even said she gave him credit cards, which she paid off with money from a GoFundMe called Support Jennifer Faith. Faith now admits she was having an affair with her ex-boyfriend, Darren Lopez, and she encouraged him to kill her husband. She convinced him that her husband was physically and sexually abusing her, though she now says Jamie never physically or sexually abused her in any way. This is all according to another DOJ press release, which actually mentions WFA's interview with Jennifer Faith two months after the murder, that interview in which she was pleading for help to find the person who killed her husband. And U.S. Attorney Chad Meacham in that press release says... Jennifer Faith's cold-blooded plot to murder her husband was made all the more heinous by the way she behaved after his death. Even as she wept for her late husband on TV, Ms. Faith was corresponding with his murderer, plotting about how to cover up their crime. Now, Darren Lopez, as I mentioned earlier, has pleaded not guilty to the murder charge against him, as well as another gun crime that he was charged with, so he's not admitted to any of this. We've yet to see what will happen with his case. But for Jennifer, in return for that plea, prosecutors have agreed to drop the obstruction charge that she was facing, And they also agreed to recommend a life sentence. Remember, the murder for hire charge carried a potential sentence of death, so that recommendation could potentially keep her off death row. However, according to the DOJ, sentencing is ultimately at the discretion of the judge, and her sentencing is set to take place on May 26th. All right, and before we move on, as I mentioned, Reed, you covered this case in great detail just a little while back on our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles. Yeah, that's right, and and anyone who's interested in knowing more about what's going on with this case, I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode because it includes 
some extended clips from that interview that WFA reporter Alex Rozier did with Jennifer Faith right in the weeks after the murder. And knowing what we know now, it's even more stunning to hear the emotion in her voice as she talks about her husband's murder and as she pleads with the killer to come forward. So again, for anyone who wants to go and check that out, that was episode 94 of True Crime Chronicles titled A Morning Walk in Dallas. We just really need some answers. If anybody knows anything, please contact the detective. I'm not supposed to be widowed at 48. I just hope that at some point, maybe this person can recognize the gravity of what they've done and feel some sort of guilt enough to come forward. Seventy-three-year-old Dennis Bauman was sentenced to 35 to 50 years in prison earlier this week in a Michigan courtroom for the murder of his adoptive daughter in 1989. But Bauman was already serving time in Virginia for another murder from 1980. We've learned that detectives in these two separate cases in different states actually worked together to catch up with him. Will, take us through it. Yeah, so Reed, when Dennis Bauman's adopted daughter went missing in 1989 in Michigan, he was early on and then always pretty much considered a suspect, but they just didn't have enough to charge him. So now we're going to shift to decades later to Norfolk, Virginia, when a police detective looked into the murder of another woman, another case altogether, Kathleen O'Brien in September of 1980. He actually started talking to a detective with Michigan State Police. They were at a cold case conference and they realized they had these two cases that might have some connections. That chance meetup at a cold case conference turned out to be the major break in the case, that sharing of information. And ultimately, it was a DNA profile that led them to Bauman, Dennis Bauman, back in Michigan. And so they had DNA in both cases, but really to, to get a match and to, to, to get to Dennis Bauman, they, they had to have this conversation and this connection. Tell us a little bit more about the case in Virginia, the earlier of these two murder cases. Yeah, so Kathleen O'Brien Doyle was only 25 years old when she was found murdered in her Norfolk home back in 1980. It was on September 11th of 1980. She was married to a Navy pilot, and she was the daughter of a naval officer. Her husband was actually out of town, deployed at the time of her murder. At that time, Dennis Bauman from Michigan was a 31-year-old serving in the Navy Reserve, and he was stationed in Norfolk and completing a two-week annual active drill. So, again, this case wasn't solved at the time. Detectives in Virginia have been working on it for 39 years, and they identified Bauman as the suspect after the discovery of this forensic evidence that I mentioned. So in November of 2019, Dennis Bauman was charged with murder in that case. They had enough to charge him. He was extradited to Virginia and eventually sentenced in 2020 to two life sentences plus 20 years in that case for the various charges associated with Kathleen O'Brien Doyle's murder. But even as Bauman was being charged in that case, he was already being scheduled for extradition back to Michigan in connection with the murder of his adopted daughter? Yeah, that's exactly right. According to police records, he confessed to the 1989 murder of Audrea Bauman around the time that he was being interviewed about this 1980 murder in Virginia. So uh, again, the timing is a little fuzzy about when he said one thing or another, and he actually spoke to his wife, according to police records at one point, and might have confessed to her even. But uh, that's essentially what happened. He talked about this other case and his adopted daughter who had vanished decades ago. A little more background on that case. On March 11th, 1989, 14-year-old Andrea 
Bauman was reported as a runaway from her Fillmore Township home. Police spent decades investigating, reviewing leads until finally skeletal remains were found in the backyard of Dennis Bauman's home on 136th Street. That was in February of 2020. And again, this is because Dennis Bauman had confessed and led police to her remains. And in recent years, he told police he actually dismembered her and buried her in the backyard of their home. There's been a heavy police presence here at Dennis Bauman's home for some time now where there's a staging set up in the backyard. And you can see behind that shed, there's a green tent set up. Officers have been back there for a while. And there were some people with shovels. They were out there digging. Now, they haven't said exactly why they're out here at Bauman's home, but there will be a press conference coming up at the Allegan County Sheriff's Office at 530. Now, Dennis Bauman was arrested back in November for the 1980 murder of Kathleen Doyle in Virginia. So, Andrea, Bauman's remains were found in the backyard of that home. And again, it was Bauman who had led them to those remains. He was charged with her death back in May of 2020. Major developments in a 31-year-old Allegan County cold case tonight. Dennis Bauman is charged with murder, child abuse, and mutilation of a body in the death of his adopted daughter, Andrea Bauman. The Allegan County Prosecuting Attorney's Office authorized charges this morning against Dennis Lee Bowman for the death of Andrea. So after being charged, Dennis Bauman pleaded no contest in December of 2021. The court sentenced him to a minimum of 35 to 50 years in prison. He'll return to Virginia, where he'll serve time for both murders. Another aspect of this case, Andrea Bauman's biological mother, Kathy Tarkanian, actually got involved in the search for her daughter along the way. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so after trying to connect with her daughter through the adoption agency that she had used, she was notified in 2010 that Andrea disappeared in 1989. So she, you know, she reached out to this adoption agency and they basically contacted her and said, hey, we have something to tell you. And that was the news they had. Turkanian had given her daughter up for adoption in 1975. I never forgot her. I always loved her. I always planned to find her. And she knows it. So Andrea Bauman's biological mother started searching for answers. She hired a private investigator along the way and even started a Facebook page to help in the investigation. Following the conviction and sentencing of Dennis Bauman, she's now working today to get the adoption of her daughter annulled and provide a proper burial for her. That's when it's done. That's when I'll be vindicated. That's when she'll be vindicated. All right. Thank you, Will. And thanks to both of our partner stations who've been covering these stories, WFA in Dallas and WVEC in Norfolk, Virginia. And thanks as always to you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. So if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to or following the show wherever you're listening right now. If you're looking for something else to listen to, you can check out Vault Studios' newest podcast, Killer Cases, available now. That'll do it for this one. For Vault Studios, along with Will Johnson, I'm Reed Redmond.